Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. Follow the links and see where it takes us. John, what do you got? Maestri is a family name of Italian origin. It may refer to Alex Maestri, who's a baseball player from Italy. Ambrosio Maestri, who's an Italian operatic baritone. Anna Maestri, who's an Italian actress. Caesar Maestri, who's an Italian mountaineer. Flavio Maestri, who's a Peruvian soccer player. Uh, Hector Maestri, who is a Cuban baseball player. Michelangelo Maestri, who's an Italian painter. Ricardo Maestri, who is an Italian swimmer. Robert, not Robert, sorry. <laughs> Robert Maestri, who is the mayor of New, who was a mayor of New Orleans. And Walter Maestri, who is the director of emergency management for Jefferson Parish, Louisiana. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So that's um, just a list of people, <laughs> some of whom have links to them. And by some, I mean all. Uh, so we have an Italian family, which I think we've encountered before. I, yeah, I, I it might have even been Italian specifically before mm-hmm. as well. Which is another weird thing <laughs> that Rick will be, uh, if so, Wikipedia starts doing that, okay. Uh, anyway, what, what do you got today? Oh, there, Eric. Well, I have Robinson, Ontario. We got more Canada. Huh? <laughs> okay, so Wikipedia is throwing us some less repetitive, but still somewhat, you know, yeah. redundant things, and that's fine. We can work with this, I think. That that much is fine. It is a railway point. And unincorporated place just oh. west of oh. an arm of Marchington Lake on the Sturgeon River in unorganized Kenora District oh okay. in northwest Ontario, Canada. It lies on the Canadian National Railway Transcontinental Main Line between Ghost River and Ecliff to the east. It has passing track and is passed but not served by via rail transcontinental Canadian trans. There's also a siding east of the lake and river that leads from the main line to the shore. And that is the extent of the article. So it's a town with no people and lots of trains. Yep. In, a, in the middle of a town, in the middle of like <laughs> an area that is so unpopulated that they gave up, they didn't organize it, and it's been unorganized for so long that it's now named mm-hmm. Unorganized. Yep. <laughs> okay. Nope. Never mind about the whole... That's pretty <laughs> par for the course. Forgetting a PD article in a town. Yep. Randomly. Okay. Um, so, do we want to learn about ghost rivers or... Uh, do we want to learn mm. about any of these various professions? Because we got baseball players, I have actresses, I have mountaineers. Hmm. I feel like mountaineers could in- open up some interesting that doors. Could. Yeah, I could dig that. All right. Let's uh, go to... Let's start out with the Maestri family. M-A-E-S-T-R-I. Maestri. It's like Maestro... Just mm-hmm. with nine. Okay. So from Maestri, we go, to go right Caesar. to Caesar. Caesar Maestri, who is still alive, was born in 1929, and in addition to being a mountaineer, he's a writer. He began climbing in the Dolomites, where he repeated many famous routes, often climbing them solo and free. And he put up 
many new routes of the hardest difficulty for which he is nicknamed the Spider of the Dolomites. Spider-Man. <laughs> he became an alpine guide in 1952. Awesome. Uh, it says 1959, together with Cesarino Fava and Austrian guy Tony Egger, he traveled to Patagonia to attempt the northeast ridge of the unclimbed Cerro Torre. I didn't know there were unclimbed, unclimbed mountains. That's <laughs> interesting. The three climbed up a steep corner below the Col of Conquest. Then Fava turned back, and Maestri and Egger headed for the summit. Six days later, Fava found Maestri lying face down and almost buried in the snow. Oh. Uh, they returned to the base camp, with Maestri claiming that he and Egger had reached the summit, but that Egger had been swept up, had been swept to his death by an avalanche as they were descending. <laughs> wow. I mean, I suppose for a mountaineer, that's not like all that uncommon. <laughs> But at the same time, just just be up there, like with with your buddy, just hiking, yeah. and all of a sudden they're gone, and you're in an avalanche. <laughs> it's a close call for our friend uh, Caesar here. Yeah. And I just realized what um, climbing free means, hmm. because I was thinking free in terms of money. Mm-hmm. But I am realizing now that it means free in terms of not any harnesses or any of that kind of thing. Mm. (laughs) No safety whatsoever. Just grab a rock and start climbing up. Um, So, yeah, that's what this guy's about. (laughs) That's impressive. Yeah, by himself climbing up Mission Impossible 2 style. Jeez, that's... Wow. Ooh, uh, Werner Herzog made the film Scream of Stone in 1991, a dramatized version of the various ascents of Cerro Torre made by Cesar Maestri. Oh, cool. May know Werner Herzog as the maker of... We, uh... Yeah, it's a familiar name, but it's one of those names that it doesn't come to mind right away. Well, he he did uh, um, Bad Lieutenant, the movie that came out a couple years ago, and he did Rescue Dawn, um, a remake of Nosferatu. I'm actually not recognizing a whole bunch of the names on this list. Um, but I do recognize his name. So That's odd. Yeah. Why Why did we know him? <laughs> oh, he made uh, Grizzly Man, that documentary about mm. the guy that died from bears. <laughs> he acted in a couple movies like What Dreams May Come. And The Simpsons and Metalocalypse and Jack Reacher, Parks and Recreation. Don't forget Rick and Morty. Yep. And Penguins of Madagascar. Yeah, he's been really active in the <laughs> children's media. So are we just on this guy's article now? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we were on mountaineering for a total of uh, <laughs> one article. Well, it was interesting. Yeah. That was great. But I'm also curious about this guy that I've heard of that doesn't seem to have done much that I've actually heard of. Well, it says that he is very, very uh, recognized on the art uh, on the art house circuit. Uh so he may have been talked about by a lot of Hollywoodites to try to like right. sound, I guess, high-minded. High but <laughs> he did a film called Invincible. It's not the one that you think. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So, um, he is proud of never using storyboards oh. and often improvising large parts of the script. What? <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah. Seems like a risky move. It's definitely something that can be done, though. <laughs> though a director telling you to do that's kind of uh, unusual. Yeah. When you don't have a whole script to work with, it makes things kind of difficult. See Not Men in Black 3, <laughs> where they started uh, shooting the movie and they had about one third of the script that wasn't written at all. Believe it or not, you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> it was almost as though they didn't have a script before they started shooting. <laughs> though, I mean, maybe he, maybe it's just like a challenge for him. Maybe he enjoys it because it's the added element of having to figure out, okay, uh, how do I how do I make this work now that mm. we have all these actors and we have this budget? All right, how do I how do I still make a movie? <laughs> how am I going to get out of this caper? It's one of those types of things. Um, I feel like he has chosen well in his more recent movies as far as the things I know him for. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, with Bad Lieutenant, like, okay, just, like, genius casting on your part <laughs> for, like, just casting Nick Cage and then just say, here, go go improvise half of a movie for me. <laughs> like, yeah, that'll work. That'll work fine. And people will see that. <laughs> Or at least they would have in the early 2000s. Late 2000s? Mm. Eh. I think this might be the most weird article that we've come across, though, that we both recognize readily. <laughs> like, yeah, we've heard of this dude, and we have no clue why. <laughs> like, this is yeah. probably a first, because usually, like, we deliberately stumble across these things, or we stumble across them and we go to them because we recognize them out of, like, a point of, like, mutual experience with them. Mm-hmm. This is the first time we've gone to an article that we're both like, yeah, that guy, and been like, why Why do we know him? Why do we know yeah, this? There's no reason why we should know about this no. person. There really is not. Like, short of being probably too intimate with the guest roles of Metalocalypse, <laughs> there is no reason at all. I am kind of thinking that maybe I remembered his name being attached to Grizzly Man when I watched it. Like, maybe I saw his name. And maybe I saw his name and I saw Bad Lieutenant. And then I, like, later I would hear his name mentioned by people trying to sound arty and like, oh yeah, Werner Herzog, that guy that makes all those art house films. And your brain wanting to be included in that crowd. I know that. I know him. From somewhere. And then it connected and now... In my mind, I know who Werner Herzog is. In reality, I have no idea. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be pretty apt. Uh, and I think I have a lot of movies I could watch from him. Like he's done a lot of interesting-sounding documentaries and even some interesting yeah. uh, fiction films. Queen of the Desert, starring uh, uh, Natalie, or not Natalie. Nicole, Nicole Kidman. That's a pretty recent movie that he did. Uh, that looks promising. Uh, there's also My Son, My Son, What Have You Done, which just has a really scary picture of Michael Shannon. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, most pictures of Michael Shannon are a little scary. Well, yeah. But, I mean, the dude's face is just intimidating. I don't know why. Yeah, it's I don't a scary... know if he could pull off like a <laughs> serene, normal guy. <laughs> yeah. He's not going to be playing any roles where. He's like this happy, well-adjusted, <laughs> family-friendly person. Yep, being in a movie, my son, my son, what have you done? Seems pretty like that's eh, a standard Michael Shannon role. <laughs> but yeah, that keeps him, that keeps him fed. Yep. Oh, and that's that movie was also produced by David Lynch. Hmm. Hmm. That sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I do know who David Lynch is, and I do know why I know who David Lynch is. Mm-hmm. I have to wonder if maybe David Lynch is also a reason why I know Werner mm. Herzog. Like, maybe David Lynch could has worked be. with Werner Herzog a lot in the past. Yeah, that could be. No, it's weird. I figured, I figured he would be credited for, like, being a producer on his stuff <laughs> if I knew him from that, so I don't really know. Yeah. Um, well, he's done a lot of operas. I think it's yeah, a really fascinating that's, thing. That's strange. But he has a fair, like, I think he's done as many, like, uh, fiction feature films as he has done operas. Yeah. Now, I don't know if he wrote them 
or if they are just like ones that he like produced. Yeah, he definitely did not write them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm not. I guess maybe he was so like he just in them. Directed maybe or either he was directing. Or it's hard to say because I mean like it breaks it up weird here. Yeah, it doesn't say that he's an actor in them, but is he? Maybe we should read about what he does. <laughs> That could be, yeah, we could do that. Career. Uh, it says here, under his career, that Herzog once promised to eat his shoe if Errol Morris completed the movie project on pet cemeteries that he had been working on in order to challenge and motivate Morris whom Herzog perceived as incapable of following up on the projects he conceived. <laughs> in 1978, when the film Gates of Heaven premiered, Werner Herzog cooked and publicly ate his shoe. Wow. An event later incorporated into a short documentary, because that's what filmmakers do with each other. <laughs> uh, Werner Herzog eats his shoe. What was the name of the uh, documentary? So how do you cook a shoe? That's my question. Um, like, do you just boil it, or do you saute I, it? I would think you would do have you marinate to marinate it. I think you would have to <laughs> marinate it for a little while to like soften it up. Hmm. Then maybe, or no, you want You want You want to do is you want to set it down. You want to tenderize it. You want to hit it with like a hammer. Oh yeah. Like one of those meat pulverizers. Just like, yep. just get that nice that leather like well, nice and worked out. That's the thing. Which kind of shoe is it? Because it has it's, to be leather of some sort, because uh, it, that's at least, I guess, maybe edible. Yeah, by association, kind of, because it's <laughs> yeah, like yeah. it's part of it, an edible. It is, yeah. That's really the only. Although, like, you still got that rubber sole. On some shoes, least, yeah. I guess. I mean, remember, he's in like Germany. They might have like. That's true. They might have access to real shoes over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, yeah, he probably would have some kind of leather loafer or something. Yeah, I wouldn't want to eat any of my shoes. It would taste terrible. Very hard to cut. Very hard to chew. Yeah. You'd um, have to almost swallow the pieces whole. Just yeah. cut it up into swallowable pieces. pieces. Yeah, and then just go from there. Like, that uh, That sounds awful. I do not envy Warner Herzog for <laughs> doing this, but I mean, he's a man of his word, though. Like, that's yeah. impressive. If I would have said that, I would just been like, hey, sorry, dude. Glad you did it, but I'm not going to eat my shoe. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Herzog has narrated many of his documentary films, and he led his voice to the animated television program for the first time in 2010, appearing in The Boondocks in the third season premiere episode, It's a Black President, Huey Freeman. In the episode, he plays a fictionalized version of himself, filming a documentary about the series' cast of characters and their actions during the 2008 election of Barack Obama. You know, I've watched that episode. <laughs> Maybe that's where I know where her song from. That could be. <laughs> I love that show, but, like... I think when they said it was Werner Herzog, I probably didn't pay him any mind because I didn't believe them. Mm. I didn't realize they went out of their way to actually get the real Werner Herzog <laughs> to uh, do a fake documentary on their show. Yeah, I guess it seems like the Boondocks really launched his voice acting career. Mm-hmm. Like, ever since then, he's just been landing job after job with... Uh, Animated television shows. <laughs> Showed up in The Simpsons later. Then he was randomly the villain in Jack Reacher. Eh, you know, just cast an evil-sounding German dude. <laughs> That'll work. That'll be fine. He also did a voice for uh, The Wind Rises. Oh, the sweet. The 2013 Hayao Miyazaki movie. He certainly does enjoy some diversity in what he does. Yeah. <laughs> like, even if he's doing, like, animated things, he's doing, like more like artsy serious animated things as well as just like eh, yeah. screw it this will be fun this might be fun like yeah. com comedy animated series yeah doesn't really say a whole lot about the whole opera stuff it really doesn't he's just like it doesn't even mention it once really until you're just in the opera stuff yeah 
and it just does not tell you what it means. I'm guessing you're right. I'm guessing it means that he directed. Like, but yeah, we can, we'll know. never know. And he, he likes his voice, so who knows? Maybe he's <laughs> just sporting a pair of golden pipes on him. Could be. Oh, it does say at the top, opera director along with his list of other titles. Ah, then it says that German film that. director, producer, screenwriter, author, actor, and opera director. But it's just doesn't even once mention anything about the operas other than the list of them at the bottom. Nope. <laughs> that part of his life is just completely omitted. <laughs> Alright, well... Okay, I guess that settles that debate. Beyond that, where do we want to go? What else catches our fancy, our eye? Hmm. Well, we do have our choice of films... Or we could not do films as we've done, done films, films recently. <laughs> um, We're just filling that gap that Enter the Critic has left on the uh, <laughs> Eric Radio Podcast Network. Or we could uh, go to one of the documentary films mm. and then like dive into the subject of that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, that idea. We should do that idea. But which one to choose? Hmm. I mean, the only one on the list that I've seen is Grizzly Man. So I, I know that's a good one. But beyond that, I'm not sure what any of the other ones are about. Except for that one, what was it called? Um, that one about the that, mountains. That was a fictional film, I think. Oh, was it? I thought it was a... I thought so. I forget what it's called, though. Is the thing. It's uh, a... Scream of Stone. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Okay, so it is one of the fictional ones. Huh. So it was like a fictionalized version of the, the true story. Actually, maybe he only does, like, true stories. I don't know about that. A, I've seen Bad a... Lieutenant. Actually, never mind. I've seen Bad Lieutenant. It might <laughs> be a true story. <laughs> oh, wait. It, that movie is a remake. S- wait, Scream of Stone is? No, Bad Lieutenant. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't realize that was a remake. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it is an, a true story, it looks like. But anyway, um, okay, so, we could just go based, uh, solely on the title. We got, how much wood would a woodchuck chuck? That is an interesting, <laughs> uh, factual <laughs> thing that we would like to, to know. Curious to see what that documentary would be mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Could be about woodchucks chucking wood. May even find out the answer. <laughs> yes. There's Feta Morgana. The f- there's also my favorite title I've seen so far: the Flying Doctors of East Africa. <laughs> Another one I like, which I guess is just it, it's just me liking things that have flying in the title. <laughs> little Dieter needs to fly. <laughs> it might be Little Dieter. It might be like a German name. Uh. Like little dieter doesn't necessarily <laughs> doesn't necessarily make that much sense, I guess. Yeah, maybe at least as a documentary film. This little dieter needs to fly. <laughs> <laughs> I need to lose so much weight I lift into the stratosphere. <laughs> Alright. Um actually you know what though, Eric? I'm really curious. How much wood would a woodchuck chuck? Let's find out. All right. Let's do it. I like that title card. That is a good <laughs> title card. Literally, Observations of a New Language uh, is the German title. Interesting. It is a 1976 film. 
It is a 44-minute film documenting the World Livestock Auctioneer Championship held in New Holland, Pennsylvania. What? (laughs) (laughs) What? What are the odds? I don't understand. Here's this guy. (laughs) Uh, Here's this guy who we think we've heard of, but we're not sure... And he was doing stuff around the corner from our house years before we were alive, but nonetheless, you know. Oh my gosh. Um. Alright. So. Yeah, he said that he believes auctioneering to be the last poetry possible, the poetry of capitalism. And he, he describes the auctioneering as an extreme language, frightening but quite beautiful at the same time. Hmm. Now, Herzog has used two of the featured auctioneers as actors in his later film, <laughs> uh, Strozek. Yeah. Wow, that's. I didn't realize we had the uh, auctioneer championships in New Holland. I mean, yeah. there's a few places where a livestock auction can really take place. East of the Mississippi, New Holland <laughs> has the largest possible venue. So, no. So, is that like an actual auction where things are being sold, like a championship to see which auctioneers can sell things the fastest, or I think we would have to go sell? see this event to find out what exactly is going on. Here. Yeah. I, too, am intrigued on how you have simultaneous auctions going on at the same time. Like, it would have to be almost isolated chambers. Yeah. Where people are judged on certain criteria, I would think, but... Yeah, the... Yeah, I don't know. Okay. We'll have to go. Okay, well, we went. Okay. It's two two sentences. (laughs) Oh, no. It is an annual competition of livestock auctioneers who practice the auction chant typical of rural areas in the United States and Canada. The competition is sponsored by the Livestock Marketing Association and was held in 1963 at first. And then was an annual tradition from there. It's featured in How Much Wood 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 Chuck Chuck. There is a complete list of winners since 1963 that isn't on the uh, external website. However, unfortunately, we are now... the official site. Now in a corner. We can now go into the auctioneering art, and that's about it. (laughs) So that has very much streamlined Um, our options. Unless we want to go into just the United States or Canada. (laughs) So the world champions list, um, not found. 404 error. Huh. The Livestock Marketing Association, though, is alive and well. Even has a social media presence, or so they claim. Hmm. Well, I guess, yeah, we pretty much have to go to auctioneers. Though. Yeah, we really don't have an option. Uh, okay. So, yep. it takes us to auction into the subheading auctioneer. They don't even get their own article, auctioneers. <laughs> <clears throat> Although their like their blurb on here is longer than um, the article the from article which we, we came just... from. <laughs> so that's and that's an improvement. We're getting there. Uh, an auctioneer, of course, is the person conducting an auction. They announce the rules of the auction and the items being auctioned, call and acknowledge bids being made, and announce the winner. And they will generally call the auction using auction chant. The auctioneer may operate his or her own auction house and thus perform the duties of both auctioneer and auction house and or work for another house. And they are frequently uh, regulated by government entities, auctioneers. Uh, In those jurisdictions, they have to meet certain criteria in order to be licensed. They have to be of a certain age, have no disqualifying criminal record, attend auction school, pass an examination, and pay a licensing fee. Because everything has to have a catch. Yep. You would think... You can't just tell people, hey, you won the bid. 
Hey, you want to you been like you can just give people money that way and they won't know and they'll just assume you're doing your job. So I mean, I guess I can see like there's a, there's the operational hazard. Yeah. I mean, like are there people that go to auctions and they're like, "Hmm, I don't know if this guy went to auction school." I mean, I think so. Auction school is a legit thing. Talking talking that fast is sometimes still unintelligible, so I'm not really sure. I feel mm. like it would be one of those communities that would be really interesting to, like, deliberately infiltrate and see whether <laughs> or not you could, like, pull it off, because it totally seems like it would be doable. Yeah, for sure. It also says here the auctioneers may or may not, depending on the laws of the jurisdiction and or the policies of the auction house, bid for their own account. Or if they do, must disclose this to bidders at the auction Similar rules may apply for employees of the auctioneer or the auction house. I feel like that's a dangerous game to get into, bidding on your own stuff. Yeah. Because, um, <laughs> I mean, because then you can just be like, hey, I bid this. Hey, now the price is going up. Hey, I bid this. Yeah. Hey, driving that price up. <laughs> I get commission. I get yeah. paid by commission. <laughs> I get a percentile of all of the total sales, so I'm just going to keep on... <laughs> Just, I really want I this push thing. It. I can read the room. I went to auction school. I know how people's habits are. Now, this is, of course, a, a little tiny blurb in like a larger, basically like auctioneering dictionary that's yeah. in the entirety of the article for auction, which covers. This article is much more like a true encyclopedia article. It covers the entire art from yeah. end to end. There is no room for subheadings or like s- genres or <clears throat> subarticles within auctioneering. Nope. Everything is streamlined into one, one place. This is the place to go for it. <laughs> Ooh, I like this though. Uh, up in the first paragraph, they talk about, of course, the more general terms uh, and what exactly an auction is. There is a thing known as a Dutch auction. And in the Dutch auction, an auctioneer begins with a high asking price for some quantity of like items, and then the price is lowered until a participant is willing to accept the auctioneer's price for some quantity of goods in the lot, Hmm. or until the seller's reserve price is met. So that's kind of cool. Like They start out with as bad as it could be, and (laughs) if you want to take it right then, you can. You can buy it now. Yeah, that's that. At yeah. that point, it's more like a race to like, do I want to risk lowering the price so that somebody else would get it? Right. Because at that point, I think it's just it would just work as like the first person who like speaks up gets the thing. Pretty much, yeah. That's, that's cool. That's kind of yeah. a neat bit of reverse psychology, there, isn't it? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's messing with it's messing with my mind a little bit. I, I dig this. I like this feeling. <laughs> There's a picture of the statue of Artemis for some reason. Maybe it was auctioned off. Oh, uh, yeah. An ancient Greek statue of Artemis was auctioned off for $28.6 million. Wow. The most expensive sculpture from antiquity ever sold at auction. That's, uh... Pretty impressive for a thing that doesn't have its limbs or head. Yeah. Oh, wait, here we go. Um, the history of auction. The word auction is derived from Latin augio, which means I increase or I augment. Ah. For most of history, auctions have been a relatively uncommon way to negotiate the exchange of goods and commodities. In practice, both haggling and sale by set price have been significantly more common. More Before the 17th century, the few auctions that were held were sporadic. But auctions have a long history, having been recorded as early as 500 BC. According to Herodotus, in Babylon, auctions of women for marriage were held annually. The auctions began with the woman the auctioneer considered to be the most beautiful and progressed to the least. It was considered illegal to allow a daughter to be sold outside of the auction method. So kind of like a Mm. controlled, like, 
It's it's that's not glorified, Eric. It's I mean, it's human trafficking. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's call it what it yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of weird that the auctioneer would start with the most beautiful, though. Even so, like yeah. I feel like. In most auctions now, I, I've been to a couple for houses and things around here. Like, mm. the last thing to be auctioned off is the property. They don't just, like, start yeah. out with the property and be like, well, no, we got that off our chest. Here are all these little trinkets that nobody and cares about. everybody walks away. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, the so only thing we wh why, why would you... So what I have to wonder is, like, why would you start an auction that way? Even, I mean, like... Yeah. So don't get me wrong. I'm not expecting people who are like into into selling off people, other right. human beings. <laughs> like I'm not trying to like give them some sort of like grounding of logic because I don't necessarily <laughs> think they have a whole lot. But uh, you know, I'm just saying if I was just running that kind of business, I would do it a little different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems a little backwards, but the whole thing does. Indeed, it's uh, pretty uh, pretty archaic though. I mean, 500 BC is you know. Sufficient time to be uh, a, a certain amount of archaic, I suppose. Yeah. That was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, during the Roman Empire, following military victory, Roman soldiers would often drive a spear into the ground around which the spoils of war were left to be auctioned off. Then later, slaves, often captured as the spoils of war, were auctioned in the forum under the sign of the spear, which the proceeds of sale going towards the war effort. Ah, okay. So, so selling again. slaves instead of war bonds, basically. Yes, slaves instead of wives for for war bonds. Good. <laughs> so the auction has its uh, its history kind of rooted deeply within. <laughs> Within human trafficking, mm. which is um, it, less than great. I'm glad yeah. we're. I'm glad we've made. I'm glad we're on just like eBay and that. Yeah, <laughs> like we we are alive during that time in history. That's mm. a that's an improvement. <laughs> that's that's good. Yeah, and I'm glad that on eBay there is no section for the purchase of human beings. Although I'm right. sure that somebody has attempted to like get on. Oh the yeah. Today show or Good Morning America or something by way of putting themselves up for sale or something along those lines. Now there was a modern revival <laughs> in some parts of England and during the 17th 18th century. Auction by candle began to be used for the sale of goods and leaseholds in a candle mm. auction. The end of the auction was signaled by the expiration of a candle flame which was intended to ensure that no one would could know exactly when the auction would end <laughs> and would make a last-second bid. Wow. Sometimes other unpredictable processes, such as a foot race, were used in the place of, an <laughs> of the expiration candle. Wow. This type of auction was first mentioned in 1641 in the records of the House of Lords. The practice rapidly became more popular, and in 1660, Samuel Pepys' diary mentioned... Uh, recorded two occasions when the Admiralty sold surplus ships by an inch of candle. <laughs> Pepe also relates a hint from a highly successful bidder who had observed that just before expiring, a candle wick always flares up slightly. On seeing this, he would shout his final and winning bid. <laughs> Coffee houses and taverns in London in the late 17th century is also, uh another place where a lot of auctions started to show back up again as a yeah, passable sense. form of sale. The first known auction house in the world was the Stockholm Auction House in Sweden, founded by mm. Baron Clays Rallam in 1674. Sotheby's, which I've heard of, uh, again, maybe not something that I actually know why I've heard of it, I just have. <laughs> Currently, the world's second largest auction house was founded in London on the 11th of March in 1744 when Samuel Baker presided over the disposal of several hundred scarce and valuable books from the library of an acquaintance. Christie's, now the world's largest auction house, was founded by James Christie in 1766 in London and published its first auction catalog in 1766, although newspaper advertisements of Christie's sales dating back from 1759 have been found. Hmm. 
And other early auction houses that are still in operation include Dorotheum, 1707, Malams, 1788, Bonhams, 1793, Philippe de Puri and Company, 1796, Freeman's, 1805, and Lion and Turnbull, 1826. Some of these companies are really old for just like <laughs> being houses of guys who go around and say, I'll sell things for you. Yeah. <laughs> you you give me your stuff and I'll put people in a room. I'll yeah, that, schedule that, a place <laughs> for us to go. Seems like a good racket. It's like, yeah. hey, you want to pay me money so that I can take your stuff and sell it to people? For money? <laughs> okay. It's like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. And um, I don't know why, but I feel like uh, I've seen Sotheby's and uh, I've also seen uh, Christie's around mm. mentioned because they usually are the ones where they sell, like... Re- those those are the two auction houses that people go to whenever they want to sell things that are very expensive artwork uh, for uh, example yeah. like uh, the Hope Diamond I'm pretty sure was sold at either a Sotheby's or a Christie's uh, auction hmm. for millions of dollars you know like when you're talking about things that you can potentially lottery off for millions of dollars those are usually the houses you call because <laughs> I remember seeing them mentioned like the Guinness Book of World Records for like most money paid for a diamond or whatever So, in 2008, the National Auctioneers Association reported that the gross revenue of the auction industry for that year was approximately $268.4 billion. That's a huge industry. With the fastest growing sectors being agricultural, machinery, and equipment auctions, and residential real estate auctions. Oh, so there's actually other types of auctions other than the, you know, ones mentioned where it's like the standard, you know, price goes up until nobody bids anymore. Or, as John said, opening um, the price going down until somebody bids. Mm -hmm. Um, Both of which are called uh, English auction and Dutch auction, respectively. Mm -hmm. And then there's also sealed first price auction or blind auction, also known as a first price sealed bid auction. And in this type of auction, all bidders simultaneously submit sealed bids so that no bidder knows the bid of any other participant. What? I kind of wanted them to say bidder instead of participant. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, the highest bidder pays the price they submitted. I've heard of this before. It's like um, when people go around and mm-hmm. like they write like a silent auction where people go around and write down their bids or whatever. But there wasn't, uh, in my record, in, in my memory, those usually have like an open oh, book. Oh, yeah, that does have like a list of like yeah. you see like the last person that bid and what they bid. This adds an element of like suspense, like the price yeah. is right style. <laughs> like you got to get it exactly. And the winner is... <laughs> yeah, get it as low as you can without overbidding it because if yeah. you don't, then like... Because, yeah, if everybody else is like, ah, I think I want to pay 20 bucks for this, and you're like, I bet $200. Then you've way then over... Like, shot, you've shot yourself well, in the foot. Yeah. Why'd you do that? You should have read the room better, bro. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a fun... That would be kind of a fun little game to play or something. You know? I kind of want to do that with like like white elephant Christmas gifts. Oh, almost. yeah. Like yeah. a low bid, you know... There would have to be, like, poker chips or something that you can do with, like, fake money, so it'd yeah, be fun. Yeah, that's true. I'm going to start working on this. I think this is actually be a fun game. I think so. This, there has, there'll be some suspense to it. Uh, okay. Bickery auction is another type. These are... Of the, of the, this is the last of the big four types of auctions. Uh, known as a sealed bid second price auction. This is identical to a sealed first price auction. Except that the winner uh, pays the second highest bid oh. rather than his or her own. Oh wow, that is cool. That's <laughs> another element of wait. So that means you have to just go in. You have to be ballsy and just like go all out, <laughs> and then hope the other person didn't go as all out as you did. Yeah, that Whoa. that adds a whole other element to it. I like it because then like you could be that person that's like, all right, I'm gonna bid two hundred dollars. 
and doesn't matter because the next person down is going to bid, you know, whatever. But then if the next person down is like, you know what? I'm going to bid $199. <laughs> then you're then, still screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so. That's such a... Oh, man. That's... Like, obviously, this is the sort of trait for people who have, like, real money, though. Because you have right. to be able to, like... Yeah. Th- you have to be able to, like, confidently throw your lot into this and back whatever yeah. bid you provide <laughs> just in case. So... Yeah, that's uh, but it is certainly a thrilling prospect. Yeah, I can see how like I wonder if the people in those older auction houses helped to establish those kinds of auctions because I haven't heard of those before. Mm. But they seem like like if you all you had to do was do auctions all day and you were just kind of like sitting around in your auction house waiting for the next <laughs> auction to happen, you'd just be kind of like, hey, hey, come come in here, sit down. Do you think this is a good idea? I was thinking <laughs> if we like make all these people like write their bids down silently and then like put them in envelopes, like we can make it like really fun. <laughs> like I have to wonder if that's like not an element of auctioneering is like fine-tuning the art to be a more exciting process, <laughs> more fun to participate in. It's almost that uh, first price sealed auction sounds similar to eBay. Yeah, very except much. Except that it would be like you don't get a second bid. Right. Like, so it'd be, like, yeah, that would be an interesting way to do eBay then, too. It really would. Be because, like, I mean, essentially, right, you, you already do. Bid. If it's the highest, then you win. But if not, then you don't get it. I'm trying to think if there's anything that's equivalent to that. Um, There are those weird sites where you, like, buy coins and you have to, like... Oh, yeah. Like, that's not really like, like that, though, is it? Because you still see the bid as it goes up. Yeah. And if you see the bid, then it's essentially just an English auction. Right. Which is dumb. I mean, like, not dumb, because obviously it's a very successful means of selling things. Right. That's why eBay became as successful <laughs> as it did. But yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I want to participate in a normal English auction anymore. No, I, I can't go back. <laughs> I need now that si- I've had my auction world opened up to me. I really need some victory. Give me that victory. Victory for these, victory. <laughs> these uh, secondary types. Oh, no. This is where the silent auction is mentioned in that one. That's the one that I was talking yeah, about before. Yeah, the one with the list. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these some of them sound kind of cool. There is multi-unit auctions which they sell more than one identical item at the same time rather than having separate auctions for each. So I'm not sure exactly how that works. But then there's all pay auctions, which is an auction where all bidders must pay their bids regardless of whether they win, and the highest bidder wins the item. Hmm. Now that's, uh... (laughs) (laughs) You really gotta win those auctions. That, that, I, uh, oh man. You gotta have a lot of money, and you gotta be very, very desiring of whatever is on the table. And hopefully, the money's going—the remaining money's going towards a good cause. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, seriously. There's uh, auction by candle, which we mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Uh, bidding fee auction, which is also known as a penny auction, often requires that each participant must pay a fixed price to place each bid, typically Ooh, one penny. Wow. That's that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's what I've seen on the internet. Uh, okay. That's the other format of yeah, uh, yeah. that pay-to-play pay auction type thing. Uh, when an auction's time expires, the highest bidder, of course, wins the item and must pay a final bid price. Unlike in a conventional auction, the final price is typically much lower than the value yeah. of the item, but all bidders, not just the winner, will have had to have paid for each of the bids that they placed. Uh, okay. But, of yeah. course, the actual bid will be a very low price. All the losers will have paid, and the seller will typically receive significantly more than the value of the item. Everybody wins. <laughs> sort of. There's buyout auction where um, there's an additional set price that any bidder can accept any time during the auction, uh, which is essentially the buy it now on eBay. You just basically, there's this price. If you want to pay that, then you win the auction, hands down, auction ends, you get the item. Yep. That's buy it now. Yep. Which is not that different from just buying. Yeah. <laughs> but you could just go to the store and buy, buy something. It. But, yeah. You know. 
that's not as fun. Yeah, you know, why do that? Yeah, yeah. come on. When you can cheat out a whole bunch man. of other bitters, you know? this is experience. <laughs> Don't you want to like have this? This is you know, like but people want to just rub it in other people's faces. Look, yeah. I have the money. I'm just gonna do I'm it. I'm just gonna do this. <laughs> I'm just gonna do this. I'm just gonna skip all this auction business. I'm just gonna buy it. <laughs> Uh, there is a thing called a Japanese auction. It is a variation of the English auction. When the bidding starts, no new bidders can join, and each bidder must continue to bid each round or drop out. Hmm. It has similarities to the ante in poker. That's cool. I like that. That That's real, real cool. There's something underneath that called Lloyd's Syndicate Auction. It offers no link, nor does it offer an explanation. <laughs> I do like the one underneath that, though. Mystery oh. auction, yeah. where you bid on boxes or envelopes containing unspecified or underspecified items. What? And <laughs> usually, usually on the hope that the items will be humorous, interesting, or valuable. Nice. In the early days of eBay's popularity, sellers began promoting boxes or packages of random and usually low-value items not worth selling by themselves. Hmm. Interesting concept. That I like that. could be something to bring back. Like, yeah. I wonder if I could just like put an envelope on eBay and be like, all right, there's something in this envelope. Buy it if you want it. Oh, yeah. I don't know if many people go that because people typically... Search for specific yeah. items. Yeah, like now that's once like back when eBay was first starting out, that was something that you could actually like catch people's eye with, and it yeah. would actually like take. But I, I feel like there's like precedent for that among a friend group, though. Like that oh, would be yeah, a much more fun way to do something. Like it, it, it basically is like a white elephant gift exchange, isn't yeah. it? At that point, like everything's wrapped, and you just kind of like try to steal each other's gifts. Now, if you combine the mystery auction with the uh, sealed first price bid auction. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> or something. Yeah. Somehow yeah. combine them. So that, that would be everybody bids on a mystery box, and and then they all have to, and then the fr- the highest bid has to pay regardless yeah. of what's <laughs> in it. Oh wow, that'd be kind of cool though. That'd be fun. Yeah. There is something called a no reserve auction. Uh, also known as an absolute auction, and it's an auction in which the item for sale will be sold regardless of price. Hmm. Uh, From the seller's perspective, advertising an auction as having no reserve price can be desirable because it can potentially attract a greater number of bidders due to the possibility of a bargain. If more bidders attend the auction, a higher price might ultimately be achieved because of the heightened competition from bidders. Hmm. This contrasts with a reserve auction where the item for sale may not be sold if the final bid is not high enough to satisfy the seller. In practice, no auction advertised as absolute or no reserve may nonetheless still not sell to the highest bidder on the day, for example, if the, higher, if the seller withdraws from the item from the auction or extends the auction period indefinitely. Uh, although these practices may be restricted by law in some jurisdictions or under the hmm. terms of sale available from the auctioneer. And of course, there's the reserve auction underneath that, and then underneath that, there is the reverse auction, which is confusing <laughs> because reserve and reverse are the same letters, just moved around. Yeah, you just reverse the V and the S. It's a reverse auction. <laughs> Uh, in which the uh, roles of the buyer and the seller are reversed with the primary objective to drive prices downward. While ordinary auctions provide suppliers the opportunity to find the best price among interested buyers, reverse auctions give buyers a chance to find the lowest price suppliers offer. Okay. Uh, during, I like that. Yeah. During a reverse auction, suppliers may submit multiple offers, usually as a response to competing suppliers' offers, bidding down the price of a good or service to the lowest price they are willing to receive. By revealing the comp- competing bids in real time to every participating supplier, reverse auctions promote information transparency. This, coupled with the dynamic bidding process, improves the chances of reaching the fair market value of the item. This tactic is widely used by corporations, state and local governments, and other organizations. There are, their uses are vast and include services as well as goods. 
it sounds very similar to a gas war or something. Yeah, like kind of this way that the free market works naturally. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I like that more because mm. that's kind of more of like a demographic. That's like a survey almost. Yeah. To see what people are willing to do. You gather a certain amount of people from a certain swath of the populace and you see like what they're willing to pay for it and that's i think that actually could be very intelligent intelligently carried out yeah give some really good information i also like this senior auction which is a variation on the all pay auction and has a defined loser in addition to the winner the top two bidders must pay their full final bid amounts. What? And only the highest wins the auction. Wait. The intent is to make the highest, the high bidders bid above their limits. In the final rounds of bidding, when the current losing party has hit their maximum bid, they are encouraged to bid over their maximum, seen as a small loss, to avoid losing their maximum bid with no return. A very large loss. Huh. That is a very <laughs> interesting setup. I like that, though, yeah. Yeah. There's another kind called the top-up auction. I bet you didn't know there are this many types of <laughs> auctions. I certainly did not, but there are. Uh, this one's a variation on the all-pay auction, primarily used for charity events. Losing bidders must pay the difference between their bid and the next lowest bid. So mm. you add even more... <laughs> Uh, depending uh, to how much you're paying. The winning bidder pays the amount bid for the item without that extra, like, gap <laughs> they have to fill in for payment. Yeah, that... Oh, uh, man. Like, because y- you could win out and be like, yeah. hey, the next person down from me only bid a dollar less. Or you could be like, jump from, like, one person bidding a dollar to the next person, like, $500. Yeah. Uh, Oh, okay, (laughs) great. $499 I owe now. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I guess guess that kind of makes sense. Like, you don't want to jump up too much at a time. So, of course, if you did, like, jump pretty high and then, like, the person in between you and the person down, like, yeah, they would probably more than both of you. Really. Yeah. <laughs> and then there is a Walrasian auction. It's an auction where the auctioneer takes bids from both buyers and sellers in a market of multiple goods. Hmm. The auctioneer progressively either raises or drops the current proposed price depending on the bids of both buyers and sellers. The uh, auction concluding only when supply and demand exactly balance. (laughs) A high price tends to dampen demand, while a low price, of course, increases it. In theory, there is a particular price somewhere in the middle where supply and demand will match. That's cool. That's also a really cool tactic. Man, I'm really glad we we ended up doing this article. (laughs) Like, I had no idea there was this much, like... But there's a lot of psychology just to kind yeah. of expose, oh, like yeah. business psychology and information gathering just through the techniques of auctioneering that I never really thought of before, but that's this is cool. And then uh, this is also another cool type uh, called Amsterdam Auctions. And it's a type of premium auction which, be- which begins as an English auction. And then once only two bidders remain, each submits a sealed bid. The higher bidder wins, paying either the first or second price. And then both finalists receive a premium, a portion of the excess of the second price over the third price at which English auction ended. So wait... Okay, so the highest bidder wins and pays what he bid, and then both of them receive money? I don't know. Receive a premium. Portion of excess I guess. of the second price over the third price. Now, I don't... Uh, so they get. Hmm. 
Okay, I'm in over my head on that one. But yeah, I don't know about that, but I like the sealed bid part. Yeah, that's always fun. <laughs> that's always a nice like element of surprise. I Who like, knows? I like that. Like yeah. bidding up until there's only two people left, and then it's like, all right, hand in your final votes, and then it's like, uh, what if you, what if you don't? What if you both bid lower than the last couple of bids? What if you both bet like one and two dollars? What if you just like throw it in the face? Of, like it could be like a it could be like a the sting sort of thing, like where oh, you like yeah. deliberately like maneuver yourself to be the last two bidders in the auction, <laughs> and then you go up there and you just like bet like fifty cents, seventy five cents. Okay. Yeah, this is this was interesting indeed. Never knew there was so much nuance. And we haven't gotten down to the flowcharts yet, and believe me, there are flowcharts. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's even equations of sorts. There are flowchart equations. A whole dictionary. Uh, and, and a whole part of the article on bidding strategy, which is a shame <laughs> we didn't have time to get to, but honestly, it's a pretty intense... Uh, section of article there. If um, I do say so myself, there's a, there's a lot going on. Oh there. yeah, there, that is a good chunk of it. But listener, it might be worth your time. I'm just saying because there's obviously yeah. like a lot of mind games going on. And honestly, I think if you read through this section, you might even be able to improve your poker game if I'm interpreting <laughs> some of these things correctly. Yeah. Seriously, <laughs> like it just seems. I think a lot. Now that I've read through this, I feel like a lot of the auction art is lost on the fact that people are sitting in a room facing one direction a lot of the time. Yeah. Like, I think it'd be much more fascinating to have people gathered like, around the table. And, like, <laughs> like, like maybe, like... Have an item like, in the middle or something. Yeah, like a round table. And people just, like, bring an item into the middle of the table and show it off. Because that would be, like, you, get, you, know, you get to see, like, everybody's faces. Yeah. People who wear now sunglasses. Now, that, that could be something interesting for your uh, gift exchange game yeah. thing. You have every person bring a mystery item. Yes. And then they present their item in the middle of the table. Mm-hmm. Other people bid on it. Like, uh, blindly. Right? Yeah. You know? Like a sealed envelope or whatever. Sealed envelope or something that's just like presented snazzly. Like it could be like a shaped cardboard thing. Yeah. It could be in the shape of something. Um... And they or could, you can even give each person a, like a die, like a twenty-sided die. Yeah. And they bid like they put their die on whatever and number then, they bid. And then how? Yeah, actually, I like that. That way, they don't have to like have like currency. It's just like a matter right. of like who wants it the most. Yeah. You start the bidding at one, and whoever answers just puts it out, puts out their dice at one. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. That'd be a cool. That'd be a cool game. I think. Yeah. There's gotta be a way to make it into more of a game and less of like an actual exchange of goods and services. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm trying to think of how to do this, but yeah. Really, it could be a really cool time. Um, I do like the. I just noticed um, under terminology, there is um, sniping, which is common on eBay where. Just before the end of the auction, you put in your final bid, and then it's like, oh, you know, I you know, lost the item to this jerk and snagged it out from under me. But anyway, there you have it from Maestry to Auction. Huh. But you didn't see that one coming. I sure didn't. <laughs> but I actually had a blast. Oh, yeah. Who knew? Between Werner Herzog <laughs> and, and auctioneering, we would find little treasures along the way, like a mansion of New Holland, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And, yeah. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> Pretty cool. So, yep. Go ahead and uh, up on Facebook and iTunes and Google Play and do all that stuff. And then uh, you can always get new episodes on twc.ericterivio.com. And I would like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song. And Billy Jones and Ernest Hare for our outro song. So thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. That was a good time. That was interesting. Yeah. I, I was I, worried about auction, but... Yeah, but at the same time, like, 
That, that really surprised me as being something that I really <laughs> wanted to know stuff about. Yeah. Like, I was like, okay. I just didn't know that there was that much t- more to know. But it's truly fascinating. Mm-hmm. It really is an art form. I, I do respect auction years now. Like, they're thinking of ways to just like really like make make shopping fun again. Yeah. Hashtag make shopping great again. No ginger snap. As the butterfly flies at the butter, I'll fly right after you. As the mouse traps traps the mouse, that's just how I'll trap you. As the lip sticks sticks to the lip, I always stick to you. As the earring rings the ear, I'm going to put a ring on you. Tell me, Ernest, how do you produce sawdust? Produce sawdust? Why, uh, let me see, uh... Uh, come, come, use your head. Oh, Will, if we find the guys who wrote this song, they'll not be here for long. As the sharpshooter likes to shoot, we'll shoot those crazy goops. Every nut factory has its nuts, and nuts from trees do fall. But of all the nuts and crazy nuts, they are the worst of all. Bill, what do cannibals do with the heads of their victims? I guess they make noodle soup out of them, Ernie. <laughs> <laughs> if we don't sing another chorus, we hope you'll still be for us. We bought dictionaries by the store, but we can't buy no more. Just buy yourself a ukulele, and while you're strumming gaily, sing your own words to this crazy song. They're all right if they're wrong. 